Colossians. We're going to finish it up today, the fourth and final chapter of Colossians. There is a quiz at the end. So for you new folks, you better just kind of read the rest of the, cha- the, rest of the book while I'm teaching and hopefully you catch up. I'm kidding. You don't have to do that. Um, yeah, we're going to finish. This has, been, this has been wonderful. I'm telling you, Colossians is one of my, uh, one of my favorite, uh, favorite books, and so I've it really enjoyed teaching it. I would do it a little bit different. I'm not loving that we're going to have to bite off a whole chapter today, but we're going to do our best. Um, so last week, uh, we finished chapter 3. So we, uh, we, we kind of started out uh, with, uh, in, in chapter, let's see, what do we, or sorry, chapter 3, we started out right around in 18, and we didn't make it very far. Uh, so we did, we did 18 um, a little bit two weeks ago, and then we moved into um, verse 19, and we, we got into chapter 4, the first verse uh, last week. So uh, we're going to pick up. In, in chapter 2, but just as a, as a reminder, what he's just finished speaking about is, uh, is relationships. So the three relationships that he's just finished speaking about are relationships between um, husband and wife, the relationship between children and parents, and then this relationship between masters and bondservants. We talked about each of those relationships over the last, uh, over the last couple of weeks, but it's important to note that uh, the where the gospel is displayed primarily in your life is in the area of relationships. God has made us to be relational. Okay, we are relational beings, right? We're rela- we have relationship with one another, and they vary on on levels of intimacy. Obviously, uh, there's there is deep, tight relationship that you have with a spouse. There's relationship that you have uh, with friends. There's relationship that you have with coworkers. Listen, there's relationship with people that you, you don't even know. You pass on the street and there's still, there's still relationship. Just the, the, being in the same context as another human being gives some definition of relationship. And then we also, where's the most primary relationship that we were created to have? R- relationship with who? With God. Right, so we were created for this very purpose. We're the only creatures on the face of the earth that have an indwelling Holy Spirit. Right, so the Holy Spirit at salvation moves in and takes up residence in our life. This is the promise of Ezekiel. God said, "I'm going to put my Spirit in you, and I'm going to cause you to walk with me. I'm going to cause you to follow my statutes." It's from this intimacy with God, this relational intimacy with God, when His indwelling Holy Spirit in us that we know him and that we make him known. All of our life is lived from that relationship. That's why the scripture tells us to love God and then love your neighbor, right? It doesn't say and then, it says and love your neighbor, right? But everything is relational. So it's no wonder that Paul, we think, we're pretty sure Paul wrote Colossians, but it's no wonder that the writer of Colossians would say, okay, if this is what it looks like uh, to be raised with Christ, remember the, uh, if you go back To the beginning of chapter 3, it starts with this phrase, if then you have been raised with Christ. So if that is true about you, if you're a Christian, if you've got new life in Christ Jesus, then here's what follows. And he gives some interior disciplines, but then he speaks about relationships. And it uh, it is vital for us to understand that these three relationships, that the marital relationship, that the relationship between children and parents, and then the uh, work and authority relationship uh, are the primary ways that we display uh, the gospel in being created new in Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? So he's just finished speaking about that, 
And he is going to now move into somewhat, uh, well, somewhat. It is the closing um, of, of the letter. And I, again, I will tell you for the last time, as this is our last time to be in Colossians, uh, please, 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 if you have a chance, go and read the entire letter just in one sitting. It won't take you very long. It'll maybe take you 15, 20 minutes. It's, it's really short. But go read it in its entirety because this is, this is a letter. It was not intended to be read just piece by piece. It was intended to be uh, read as a whole and out loud. So one of the things I like to do is read it actually out loud to myself. So if you ever walk by my office and there's talking in there and you look in and it's just me, I'm probably studying. I like to read things out loud. Um, and just a little study tip, if you'll read your paper out loud to yourself before you turn it in, you'll find more mistakes. Uh, okay, so that just that. You don't have to pay for that. That one was free. All right, just a joke. Let's pray. God, help us to uh, understand your word. Uh, Holy Spirit, we know that you are the one that is present to, uh, to do that. You're present to uh, lead us into all truth and to glorify Christ in us. And so we just ask that as we, uh, as we open your word, as we read, as we study, and as we listen, that it would be you, Holy Spirit, that we are listening to. Uh, would you transform us this morning? We just ask that you would not leave us the same as when we walked in, but uh, God, that as we encounter your word, that you would transform us, that you would make us uh, like Jesus. And so we ask these things uh, in Jesus' name, and we all said, amen. All right, here we go. So I'm going to read just kind of this whole section, and then we'll start breaking it down. We're going to start in verse 2. It's a little bit better uh, starting point. Uh, so here we go. Verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Uh, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, Uh, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Ephraim, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Giving, give, sorry, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that, has, uh, that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. All right, so he begins this final chapter uh, with with some instruction, okay? In verse 7, he's going to start giving us some clues into kind of who he is with, 
um, and some specific personal instruction. But, but verse 2 through verse 6 are, are general instruction uh, as a final note in this letter. And the first thing that he says in verse 2 is what? Continue. What's the word he uses? Steadfastly. All right, so he's going to tell them to continue in prayer, but he's going to tell them, continue steadfastly in prayer. And then he kind of gives them a how, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. This is language that should be familiar, excuse me, from earlier in the letter. Uh, that he may declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So let's talk about this continuing uh, steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. There's a, uh, there's a word that we use um, that, that talks about, uh, it speaks of us praying for others. It's a word called intercession. You guys ever heard this word, intercession, to intercede? It means to stand in the gap for or on behalf of somebody else. You may hear this word thrown around uh, in church sometimes that we need to be interceding for our brothers and sisters. And sometimes we kind of go, whoa, whoa what, does that, what does that mean? This is a, this is a term that is speaking uh, about prayer. And, it, and it, as I said before, it means to stand in the gap. It's kind of to say as if I, I'm praying as if I were this person on behalf of this person. I'm going to God on behalf of whoever it is that I'm praying for. And he tells them to do this steadfastly. So one of the things that's encouraging here is that he says, continue steadfastly. So we know already that this church has a reputation of being a church that is participating in intercession because he tells them to continue. Keep doing as you've been doing, but continue steadfastly in prayer. Why would he use the word uh, steadfast? And then why would he say being watchful in it with thanksgiving? The Old Testament uh, gives us a picture of this watchfulness. In the book of Ezekiel and in the book of Isaiah, we read of, uh, of God uh, telling the people of Israel to have watchmen on the walls of the city. Now, what's that for? Why would you have watchmen on the walls? Somebody? That, that's right. It's It's warning. It's to be looking out for. It's to be standing in the gap for. See, in, in ancient times, a city, a fortified city, the wall was its boundary. And their safety was based on, the, uh, based on the ability of that wall to keep people out and to keep what's good in and keep what's bad out. And they would establish watchmen on the wall to see if there was anything coming uh, that, that, would bring, uh, that would bring destruction. And it was vital that these watchmen stay awake and alert and be looking out for the people in the city. This is the picture that God has given us in the Old Testament of intercessory prayer. He establishes watchmen on the wall. And Paul says for them to continue steadfastly in prayer, remaining watchful in it. When we think of prayer, I think a lot of times we think of it as, uh, I, I don't know what the, maybe what the right word is here, but it, it's not super active uh, prayer, I think we think about it a lot of times. We, we go sit down maybe or get in a quiet place and we're going to be real qu- we're, we're quiet and we're going to talk to God and, and we're going to listen. Uh, we're going to listen to God. But, but this gives us a picture of prayer as something that is somewhat aggressive. Remain steadfast in prayer. There's, there's an active nature to this prayer. 
So to remain steadfast and to be watchful is to be active and present in the work of prayer. And Paul sees this as vital to the ministry. He sees it as vital to what he's doing as he's declaring the gospel, and he's going to tell us about that in just a second. But he also sees it as vital to the health of this church, that watchmen be on the wall, remain steadfast in prayer. Don't put down the work of intercession. He could have said a lot of other things here, right? These are the final instructions. The very first thing that he tells this church to be attentive to as he closes this letter, be attentive in prayer. And I think for us, what we have to read here is that that prayer is vital in the life of a church. Not not just prayer is vital for you as an individual. Is that true? Yes, absolutely. You you ought to have, uh, have intimacy with God in the arena of prayer. But this is not speaking of individual prayer. This is speaking of, a, of something that is happening corporately. He's saying you as a people remain watchful. Remain steadfast. Be active in your prayer. Be active in your watchfulness. Why would he tell them to be watchful? What is coming against them? We've spent this whole letter uh, talking about how deception was coming against the church in a variety of ways. And he tells the, the church here to remain watchful in prayer. And I think we have to ask ourselves, especially especially in the church in the West, where we're surrounded by comfort, where we're surrounded by, um, I think, the, the opportunity for apathy we can just and consumerism. We can just kind of show up in church, do our thing, and leave. We've got this mentality that our faith is very individualized. So we just, you know, my faith is my faith. I'm going to come and hang out at the social club called church, and I'm going to leave here. There's not a lot of corporateness in it. And I think we have to ask our question, or ask what this question is, are we steadfast in the area of prayer? Do we as a corporate entity, do we set up watchmen on the wall? Do we see it as vital to ministry that God is doing in Nacogdoches that we fuel what he's doing with prayer? Do you see that as a personal command for you to say, yes, I will stand on behalf of my church. I will stand on behalf of the gospel in my city and I will be one of those watchmen. I will be one that remains steadfast in prayer. I will be one that pushes the church to remain steadfast in prayer because God is doing a work here and prayer is the first thing that he asks his people to do. I believe that every great move of God, if, if we look back in history and, uh, and look at great moves of God, then every one of them is marked by two things, prayer and worship. Those two things. Revival always comes in behind prayer and worship. You never see revival. You never see revival where there's not also great moves of prayer and worship. Where the people of God are petitioning God to be part of his will. God, do what you want to do here. And there is the, that is the, uh, the wave on which revival uh, comes in. But he says also for them to pray for him. He, say, pray, he says, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So what is he asking them to pray for? An open door. What does he want? He wants opportunity to declare the mystery of Christ. That's pretty simple, right? That's pretty simple. 
I think if, if, we, if I were to ask you right now, what, what do you want this semester on campus? What do you want? We might come up with quite a long list. I mean, if we're going to pray for God to do something, what do we want? We might come up with quite a long list. This was his petition. Would you just pray that I would have an opportunity to declare the mystery of Christ? That's what we want. Just give me an opportunity. Give me an opportunity. He doesn't say, I need you to, to pray that I would be bold. He doesn't say, pray that I would understand how to declare the mystery. He just says, give me a shot. All, the do- all that has to happen is the door has to open. Would you pray that God, in his power, would miraculously open doors for me to declare the mystery which is Christ? Paul was so focused on his task. It didn't matter if he was in... in uh, in riches, in luxury. It didn't matter if he was being beaten. It didn't matter if he was in prison. It didn't matter where he was on the planet. He had one goal and one goal only. First, he saw himself as a prisoner of Christ and his aim was to declare the mystery of the gospel. All he needed was opportunity. And so he asks people, would you pray and petition God that I would have opportunity to declare the gospel and that when I have that opportunity, he says that I may speak it what? Clearly that I may speak the mystery of Christ clearly, which is how I ought to speak. I think we, uh, to be honest with you, I think, we've, I think we get really, really into our own head when it comes to sharing the gospel. We get really technical about it. We get really crafty with it. Like, okay, what portion of my story am I... I'm not... Listen, uh, sorry, I, that sounded belittling, okay? I'm not, I'm not trying to... to uh, to belittle those efforts at all. But I, I think we just are, are way too technical about, okay, is, is my testimony going to work here? What is my testimony? What portion of my testimony do I share? How do I share the gospel perfectly with the A, Bs, and the Cs? And the, right? and we, we just get so in our own head about it. How do I start up a conversation with a perfect stranger and then tell them about the gospel and have them saved within the first 30 seconds of that conversation? And if I don't do that, I'm a failure as a believer. Right? And as a result of that, we just go, oh, I'll just speak the gospel and I'll use words as necessary. Thank you for that out. <laughs> right? And we just, I think we just have become so technical about it that we've lost kind of the ferocity of sharing the gospel. What I mean by that is all, all Paul says is, this is the only thing I know how to do. This is the only thing I know how to communicate is the mystery of Christ. And I'll do it in whatever means possible. All I need is an open door. How can I help but to declare the mystery of Christ? It's all I need is an opportunity. I think we get so bogged down in exactly how we're going to do it that we forget that it's the Holy Spirit in us that's the only one that actually has the power and the potential to save anybody. It's the Holy Spirit that draws people in. And what we ought to be doing is going, God, give me an opportunity to declare the mystery of Christ. And get out of your head about exactly how that's going to be rehearsed and done. Pray for the opportunity and trust the filling of the Holy Spirit that in the context of relationship, when the opportunity presents itself, you will be able to, as you ought to, clearly proclaim the mystery of Christ, which is the gospel, right? I think we wrongly put a lot of pressure on ourselves to, to you, you've got this time limit. I've, I've known someone for, as I said before, 30 seconds. If I don't share the gospel, I'm a failure as a Christian. That's ridiculous. 
But at the same time, if within 30 seconds the Spirit of God opens up a door, at, which is what you've just been praying for, according to the Scripture, God opened up a door. If you have that opportunity within those 30 seconds, then God will do it. The pressure ought not to be on how we're going to do it. The pressure ought to be for us in intercession. God, would you give me an opportunity? And sometimes those are long labors. Long labors. Years of relationship. So, I mean, you guys, some of you guys have been in that. Where over a period of years and years and years, you have been building trust and, and remaining steadfast in friendship and connection with somebody. And, and then for whatever reason, at whatever time, there's an opportunity that God brings and it's the right opportunity. But you've invested time in relationship. You've poured out your life on behalf of this person and now there's favor and possibility. They trust you and you can share what God gives you to share. And then there's other times where it happens fast. I, we've been in, I've been in both situations. The fastest I think it's ever happened, I sat out at lunch and this guy, I think I've told you this story maybe before, this guy was sitting way too close to me. You ever just have that where somebody's just up in your bubble? And it's like, you are a stranger. Get out of my bubble. Some of y'all's bubble is way bigger than others. Mine's small. I don't want you near me, okay? I just don't, right? I don't, I'm not a huggy guy. I don't, you know, like just come on, <laughs> right? Um, this dude was, I was in a, at a barbecue place, and this guy, and I'm sitting across from a friend of mine, and this dude, I mean, there's lots of table left, and he's right here. Didn't even say anything. That's even more awkward, right? Like just say, hey, I'm going to sit really close to you. Like, at least we can get that out of the way. He didn't even say that. He just sits really, really, really close. And, I, and, and what, for whatever reason, I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, share the gospel to the guy across from you because the guy next to you needs to hear it. And it's like, okay, we're going to do the ping pong thing. All right, so it's like, all right. So I just was kind of like, okay, I really hope that my buddy here catches it. So I just started talking to him like he didn't know I was a Christian. He's like, hey, man, I got to tell you about this crazy deal that happened in my life. And I just told him about how I got saved. And how, how the church has just been so important for me and building my faith. And I'm just sharing the gospel, like just telling how Christ has totally changed my life to my friend who's kind of going, okay, he got it after a little bit. And was like, oh, okay. And he started asking me questions, right? <laughs> oh, we're doing this, right? So anyway, and, and, and just after a few minutes of conversation, it was just, it was quick. The guy turns to me and, and we, we get, were able to have a conversation about the gospel. The dude that was sitting like in my bubble, right? We were able to have a conversation uh, about the gospel, I was able to, to, able to encourage him uh, in, in his faith. That's the fastest it's ever happened. That's the most stranger, quick, but sometimes it happens that way. All I'm saying is, it was a tangent, all I'm saying is this. Our prayer, our pursuit of God ought to be those two things. God, give me an opportunity, and when it comes, may it be clear. L- listen, the kingdom of heaven is keeping one statistic, one, obedience. You hear me? One, you will face God one day as a believer and it will be based on one statistic, obedience. You will have to give an account to God of, the, of your obedience or disobedience as a believer. There's not going to be a, 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 a statistic of, okay, well, how many times did you share the gospel? Look at you. How many times did you? How many strangers did you just... Meet in the street and just that, that statistic does not exist in the kingdom of heaven. Obedience does. And our prayer and our petition ought to be God, give me an opportunity. You ought to not, not want an opportunity. You ought to be pressing God all the time in every relationship. God, give me an opportunity to share the gospel. 
But they also, on the back end of it, as he asks them to pray, and then let it be clear when I have the opportunity. And you just listen. You just wait. You just be obedient. Because as God brings that prompting, as God brings that opportunity, the Spirit of God will, will empower your words. And it's the Spirit of God that we have to trust in salvation, not your creativity. All right? You guys cool? Okay? All right. So he says in verse 5, tells them to... I promise we're going to finish the chapter. I know it's not feeling like it right now. He says in verse 5, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. That's a really interesting command. He also tells them in verse 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You know, essentially, uh, he's, he's saying we ought to be wise outside of these walls. Okay? We ought to be wise outside of these walls. We ought to know uh, in, in, in wisdom, we ought to know where we're to invest our time. He says, make, them, make the best use of your time. Jesus would, would tell us, don't throw your pearls before what? Swine. There's a wisdom which we are to have in our uh, use of time, the outside world. And this is, this is kind of tricky, but this is why this is, this is totally about obedience. Uh, there have been times where somebody has come to me, and this happens you know, just because of the nature of the job. Uh, people come all the time, and the speech is there. I'm, I want to, I want to follow Christ more. I want to, uh, I want to be more obedient in this way. I want to stop sin in this way, right? And we, the, the speech comes. And then in the process of discipleship, because it's not just, the process of following Christ is not just about wanting to. There's actually things to do, amen? There's actually a work to be done. There's a killing of the flesh that needs to happen. There's a denial of myself and a walking in obedience to the Holy Spirit that occurs within the walk of the believer, and I hear a lot of times, hey, hey, I want, I want, I want, I want. And when the conversation, we sit down and we go, okay, here's the steps. Here's what happens. Okay? Here's, here's how you put this away. Here's what this relationship ought to look like. Right? And we begin the actual nitty-gritty of discipleship. Here's the call to Christ. It's not cheap grace. You have to die every single day. You have to forfeit yourself and live to Christ. And then it's like, uh... <laughs> People don't typically in that meeting say, yeah, that sounds hard, I'm out, right? But they just don't come back. Maybe it's two meetings, maybe it's three. But when it gets really sticky and that really are required to give their life up on behalf of Christ, many will say, no thanks. And the, the dilemma many times for me, and I'm sure it is for you as well, is, okay, I'm not, do, I, do I beg them to do it? Like, I, I know that this is the best for you. I know that it's, it's good for you to, to deny your flesh and to live to Christ. But I'm not going to beg you to do it. If you don't want to do it, I'm not going to waste my time. And that feels like, oh my gosh, can I say that? Listen, if you don't want it, I don't have time for you. I love you, but we don't need to waste the time. Right? 
And there's a sense in which Paul says, we have to exercise the best use of, we have to be wise in the way that we spend our time when it, when it uh, deals with outsiders, because what the enemy would love for us to do is just to go out and fruitlessly spin our wheels, absent obedience to Christ, because we feel like we have some obligation, right? You with me? Now, that's maybe stepping on a little bit of, a little bit of toes, but we've got to understand this. The enemy would love for you to be distracted and, and, and working and working and working and working absent obedience and wear yourself out. Rather, as believers, to walk in wisdom is what, what are we going to have to tie it back to? Obedience to the Spirit of God. Where are we going to put our labor? Where God assigns us. And there we will work until he pulls us away, even if we cannot see the fruit, even if we don't see the hope or the possibility where God assigns you in relationships in the outside world, you better stay there and labor until God pulls you off. Because many of the times that what we, what we do is it's, it's hard where God assigns us. And so we go, God, give me a different assignment. Give me somewhere, God, where this only takes a few weeks. And then they're like the rock star of the church. They're the one that's like giving the testimony. And they say, and I want to just give a shout out to Jason because he discipled me and he did an awesome job. And now I've turned my life away. And you want to just go, yeah, that's right. That's my discipleship. Right? But we have to be wise. We invest deeply where God assigns us. And we work and labor with everything we are on behalf of those individuals. But do not labor absent obedience. You will waste your time. Right? Is that all right? Can we leave that there or is that too weird? We need to leave it if we're going to finish, but we can stay. This is kind of one of those fork in the roads and the audience chooses, right? I'm just kidding. You're not an audience. All right. Come on, guys. Come on. Smile. Everybody stand up. When you don't answer my questions, you have to stand up. Stand up. Trunk twists. Here we go. Just a few of them. We're going to get back into it. Come on. New folks, we do this often. So if this is too strange for you, I can recommend other churches. <laughs> sit down, sit down, sit down. Come on, come on. We're not consumers. We're participants. Let's listen. Here we go. All right, here we go. So here we're going to get into some of these final greetings. I love this, man. I love names. Do you know that you have a name? It's not Onesimus, but you have a name. Here's why I love names and places. Listen. Because, look, we read this sometimes like, it, like it's a fairy world, right? Like this, this is the Bible and it happened sometime along in a context that I have no idea. But, but listen, listen, these are names of real people. The places that are listed here are real places. And guess what? God was doing a work in those places. There was nothing special about those places, There was nothing special about Paul or Saul or Onesimus or Peter or, you know, nothing special. There was nothing special about Bethlehem or Jerusalem. It's dirt, it's land, but God showed up in those places and that's why they're recorded. Here's the beauty of it. We are in a place. This is Nacogdoches. Whether you can spell it or not, it's a place. And you have a name, right? Right? God comes into places. God inhabits places. God does work in places. It's a story that God is telling. And the narrative that he's writing includes Nacogdoches and includes our names. 
the list of these names is important. These aren't just random people. These are people that were, that were going about the labor of the work of the gospel with Paul. And our stories are in it too. There is a story being written about your life right now. And it's happening in this place right now called Nacogdoches. Here we go. Tychus will tell you all about my activities. Now, this, is, this dude is awesome. He says he's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. Those are great words. Uh, he is, I'm going to give you just kind of a little, uh, some facts about some of these guys. Uh, and then there's one I really want to really highlight. So obviously he says that he is going to tell you about all my activities. So what we really feel like is true is that this is the guy that would deliver the letter. Okay? He's listed first. And he says, he's going to tell you about all my activities. So we believe that what this means is he's the one that's actually going to carry the letter from Paul in prison to this church. He's going to be the guy that gets to, gets to deliver it. Okay? He was also the guy that got to deliver the letter to the Ephesians. That's what I'm saying. This dude is awesome. How cool is that? And he's the one that's delivering these awesome letters. Like, read this. This is going to mess you up. <laughs> like, right? right? So here's, here's another cool thing. So he sends him with who? Our guy. The funny name starts with an O. Well, they're all funny names, but right? Onesimus. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, he's in another book of the Bible, right? A lot of these guys are in other places, but he has a focal point in a really tiny, tiny, tiny book. You know what the name of the book is? No, no, no. Starts with a P. Yeah, there we go. It's like the only P I know in the New Testament is like people are just going to play, play, mom. <laughs> right? Yeah, the whole letter is written from Paul, right? And it's about Onesimus. And, and so here's Onesimus' story. So here we go. We've got, we've got Tychus and we've got Onesimus. They're bringing this letter. Onesimus was a runaway slave from Colossae. He took off, comes and intersects Paul at some point. And, the, and uh, Philemon is the, is the letter about Paul saying he's returning Onesimus to his master. He's talking about the reconciliation of that relationship. And he says, listen to what he says. This is beautiful. And, for, and this is what I love about everybody that has twisted and distorted Scripture that, that somehow has believed that Scripture supports uh, slavery. Here's what he says. He, listen to what he says about Onesimus. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved, what's the word? Brother, equal, same in Christ. And then look at that word. Who is one of you? Amen. He says, they will tell you of everything that has taken place. All right? So those are, those are kind of some of the, the, uh, the main characters there. In verse 10, he says, uh, Aristarchus My fellow prisoner greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. This is cool because we we now see that this is the only place where we see that Mark and Barnabas are related. And you can then read in the book of Acts why that relationship was so tight. Um, I lost my place. If he comes to you, there you go, welcome him. Verse 11, and Jesus, who is called Justice. That guy lucked out with a cool name. These are the only men of the circumcision. Uh, among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. And then here we go. Here's the guy we want to talk about for the rest of our time. Uh, Ephraim, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, greets you always. Listen to this word. What's the word? Struggling. Struggling for what? On your behalf and where? 
in his prayer. What do we just, what do we just talk about? What do we just see in verse 2? Continue steadfastly in prayer. And what does he say? What does he list as this guy's main quality? What has he been doing? He's been laboring, struggling, pouring himself out on your behalf in prayer. Working hard for you. And then listen to the aim of his prayer. He says he's been struggling on your behalf in his prayers so that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. How do I pray for my friend? There it is. How do we pray for each other? Again, I think this is one of those areas we get so complicated. Would you just pray that right there? That's so simple. Would you just sign up to struggle in prayer on behalf of your brothers and sisters that they might be mature and fully assured in the will of God? Need we ask more than that? Could I think of something that I would desire more for you to pray for me than that I would mature in Christ and be assured of the will of God? My maturity in Christ allows me to stand and be obedient in the will of God, doesn't it? And so this is what he says. He says that he struggled on your behalf. And I, we have to ask ourselves this question. Do we struggle? Are we struggling? Are we working on behalf of the person next to us? I don't mean generally. Well, yes, I pray for all the people that I know, (laughs) right? God help all the people that I know. This was pointed. This was focused. He's bringing names into this. This was, this was focused. This was, God, bring Nathan to a place of maturity in you that he might know the will of God. This was powerful intercession on behalf of individuals. And Paul noticed it. We don't know that Paul's ever actually even been to Colossae. But he noticed this. He looked and he said, okay, this guy Ephraim is struggling. He's pouring his life out. Think about what that would have looked like for Paul to know what he was doing. Right? Like, if you're going to be around somebody to know this, it happens a lot. You ever, you're around somebody? I, well, look, look, Pat and I are guilty of this all the time. Like, we talk about our kids all the time, don't we? I'm sure y'all are so tired of kid analogies and messages. They're like, we get it. The kids are sweet. Father God, like, stop, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Why do we talk about them all the time? They're everything to us, right? I mean, this is, this is our heart. Here's the deal. Paul said the one thing that he says about this guy, he struggles on your behalf. He speaks of you often. He pours his, his life out to you in prayer often. Can you imagine? I mean, they're going to get around the circle, right? And they, I, don't, I don't know what it looks like, but they, they spend time in prayer in a prison. It's like, we know what Ephraim is going to pray for. He's going to go off on those Colossae people again, right? That's all he ever talks about. We ain't never even been there. But maybe they, maybe they need a letter, right? He's praying for them. Maybe they need a letter. I don't know. I don't know how it went. But he, he poured himself out on behalf of these people. And we have to ask ourselves that question. Are we living that way? This is so anti what we, what we normally do, which is this compartmentalization of our faith and this individuality in our faith, that our, we have to begin to see our salvation as, as communal, 
And what I mean by that is that God has saved you in large part for the person next to you. We are a body of Christ. Your salvation is not just about you and your individual relationship with God, never to be seen or heard from again. It is about us. It is about we as the body of Christ, as the picture of marriage being the picture of Christ and the church. And he says that he poured himself out. He struggled on your behalf in your prayers so that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. He says, for I bear you, uh, sorry, for I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. When this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea, which is, we don't have that. Ah, wish we did, right? That would be awesome. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Remember my chains is not a call to pity. It's not a call to say, remember to cry for me. I'm in jail here. Remember my chains is a call to, the, to allegiance to Christ Jesus. It's a, it's a, it's a statement of legitimacy. I'm, I mean, this is, not, this is a guy that if, if anybody could have backed their letter up, it's this guy. He's not just writing with a bunch of fluff saying, here's what you should do, here's what you should do, and then if they were to examine his life, none of it were to be present. He is in prison awaiting a death sentence on behalf of the ministry of the gospel. And if he, if anybody else, has the authority and the legitimacy to write to them what he is writing. He is essentially saying, I am with you and I will go to death for the very thing that I'm writing for. We know that historically, if this is Paul that wrote it, and again, we're about 98% sure if this is Paul that, that, that wrote this letter and it wasn't penned after his death, that this was written uh, shortly before he was executed. And he says, remember my chains, and we realize that this is a letter written, and what was very common for Paul is that somebody would, uh, he would, he would speak, and out loud, and they would, they would record the letter he was writing, but when it came time for the letter to be signed, he would sign the letter with his own hand. He references that here. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. And I just want you to just kind of put yourself in that place. He's just, he's just spoken to us about Ephraim pouring his life out. If you go back into chapter 2, uh, sorry, chapter 1, verse 24 through 29, you read about of Paul saying, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus, pouring my life out for you. And I want you to just imagine the sound, imagine the smell, imagine the moment where he picks up a pen and he's in chains. Imagine what that, and he signs that letter, probably a righty, right? And just think about that. He's signing, remember my chains, as the sound of chains on the floor, right, as he's, Writing it. This is a guy that poured his life out for the gospel. And this uh, ending of remember my chains, grace be with you, is a uh, resounding call to the legitimacy of his, uh, of, of his words. And that, my friends, is Colossians. Let's quickly go back over what we've learned. Two-minute warning. You ready? That rumor? Two-minute warning? Everybody? Yeah? It's almost football season. Here we go. All right. 
Two-minute warning. So we've got this church in the midst of persecution and pressure to conform. They are implored to stand firmly in Christ Jesus. Stand firm. We begin to read of a detailed Christology. This is who Christ is. And then in chapter 2, we learn what's in him. This is who Christ is, and then this is all that's in him. This is what you have been given in him. And because of that, if you've been raised with Christ, this is how you are to live. This is how your relationships are to be. And then please remain steadfast in your watching. Remain steadfast in prayer. And remember my chains. Be united with one another. This is the book of Colossians, it's a powerful book, and I would encourage you again to, uh, to go back and read the whole thing. Now we've done this, the whole thing, uh, chapter 1 all the way through chapter 4. If you, if you have spots where you've missed, uh, the, the podcast is a great place to, uh, a great place to catch up. Uh, but I want to just end as we've just, I don't know, I don't think that there's a more appropriate way to end than to pray for those who are coming. Uh, to pray for their maturity in Christ Jesus. Pray for them to be assured of the will of God. God is doing a work here in this place, Nacogdoches, and we are blessed to be part of it. It's vital that we see ourselves as part of it, but not just you. It's you and the person next to you. It's you and we and us, and God is bringing a mass of students. I don't know what the new class is, how big it is. I haven't seen the statistics. Does anybody know? No? Uh, but, but they are coming, and they all have stories. And God loves every one of them. God is pursuing every one of them. And God's going to bring some of them here in this church. God's going to bring some of them in other places. God's going to use you to to speak profoundly into some of their lives. I don't know how it's all going to play out, but God does. And let's just pray. Let's pray for God to bring the army. God, bring an army and do a great work here in our city. God, would you use us? Let's just do that now. I'm going to pray over us. You just join me in prayer, and then we'll be done. God, we recognize that you are doing a work here. And we thank you, Father, for that. We thank you that you never quit doing a work, that your desire is always for the kingdom to come and that you want the kingdom to come in Nacogdoches. And so we pray, God, that you would use us to be part of that work. God, would you break us of our disobedience? Would you break us of our love of our flesh? Would you, would you teach us to be obedient to your Holy Spirit? Would you fill us with boldness and send us out into our city? God, we also just, I just love it. In two weeks, God, there's going to be, there's, this room is going to be full. And there's going to be names and stories all in this room. And God, you know every single one of them. And so we just thank you in advance for the stories that are going to be written here. We thank you in advance for the ones that you're bringing to be part of this work. We need them. And you're bringing them to be part of what you're doing here. We pray, Father, for there to be a boldness in us, a boldness to pursue friendship and relationship, that we wouldn't cower behind any insecurities, but that we would reach out to those who are coming. And God, we ask along with the letter to the Colossians that, God, that you would give us opportunity to declare the mystery of Christ. Would you give us an open door? That's all we need, God, is an open door because we will speak it. We cannot help but declare the mystery of Christ. Would you give us an open door? And when that door comes, God, would you, by your Spirit, fill us in such a way that we declare that mystery with absolute clarity? 
that we speak with clarity the gospel. And God, again, we just thank you for what you're doing here. We thank you that we get to be a part of it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.